On today's episode, we have Laura Martin. She's a holistic gut healing mentor. After suffering with IBS, hyperthyroidism, skin issues, hormonal imbalances, and anxiety, she was finally able to put them into remission. She has since gone on to help IBS strugglers all over the world. This episode is all about gut health. So if you or someone you love suffers from gut issues, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the Kakatibi Podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with you. Could you share a little bit with us about your healing journey and how you became a gut healing mentor? Yeah. So it started when I was 13 years old. Um, I was diagnosed with depression and IBS, but we always chased them separately. So it was never like, Hey, let's look at this whole gut brain connection thing. It was like, let's take medication for one thing and let's do a diet for the other thing. And it led to this really messed up relationship with my body my whole life. And then after a traumatic experience of losing my mom unexpectedly, I went on a mission of self-sabotage for quite some time. And then finally sat and decided to take radical responsibility for my life. And that started with understanding nutrition. And then as I was getting healthy, I still, my bowel was just like a wreck. Like even though I was quote unquote eating all the right foods and doing all the right stuff, my gut was like, "Mm -mm, we are not having this. And so I went down the rabbit hole and then I became a specialized in this area because it was something I was like, okay, like I need to figure this out to make peace with this enemy. But going down that rabbit hole left me with eliminations, restrictions, tests, all these kind of things that just you can't look at food the same way when you know all the stuff about it. And so I went, so I struggled with eating disorder for a really long time and ended up losing my period, hair falling out, skin doing weird flare up stuff. And it wasn't until I sat in my naturopath's office and was like, why can I teach this? And like, I, I'm a wreck. Like what is going on right now? And she's like, do you want to talk about how your uh, depression is linked to your IBS? And like that question completely changed my life and just, kept knocking at me because still like the nutrition in me was just like, no, we need to like focus on food. It's food's fault, da, 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 all this thing. And then, so even though I kept trying different diets for years, it was like, it sat on my shoulder and I was like, okay, fine. What is this gut brain connection thing? And then that's what led me down understanding how IBS isn't a food issue. It's a gut brain dysregulation. And we can't just think it's going to be fixed with eliminations and restrictions. We actually have to get to the root cause of what is going on. And now I help women around the globe do that. So it's really breaking that stigma around fear around food and getting back to feeling empowered around it. So I've had kind of similar issues. I haven't had IBS, but I've definitely had severe hormonal imbalances, horrific acne, and mildly hypothyroid. And I know that you were hyperthyroid. So like, you know, all these things, they're all interconnected and we try to treat them separately, but they're really not. So I know that health begins in the gut. That's like the famous quote. So let's start there. Can you tell us exactly what IBS is? Yeah. So basically it is 
irritable bowel syndrome. And so irritable, something's upset, bowel, and your colon syndrome, there's a whole bunch of symptoms. But in reality, it's you go to the doctor, you get a whole bunch of tests done that are very not pleasant to get done. And the doctor is looking at their checklist and they just go, we don't actually know what's wrong with you. So it's like the running joke in my world of like at the end of B- IBS is BS because like they're just like, we don't know, take some medication and restrict some food and take some Miralax. Please stop coming to my office. Like it's it's one of those things where you're just kind of brushed off, which is so disheartening when you know something is wrong, but it, it, your test results are normal. There's nothing wrong other than some irritation in your bowel. And you're like, what is what is actually wrong? And that that's what IBS is just this whole confusion of what's going on. So what does IBS feel like? You run into the bathroom, you're always constipated. Is it like switching back and forth? All of it. It's It can be like, <clears throat> I started with IBS-C, so that's IBS constipation. And so that's, oh, it's like a box of rocks in your belly. Like you eat anything and it's like, Mm-mm, nothing's going for anything. And I would go to the bathroom once a week. <clears throat> and then doctors would be like, oh no, it's fine. Like you're only supposed to go like once every three days. And now I'm like, what? <laughs> in my world, like someone comes to me, they're like, I'm not constipated. I go to the bathroom every three days. I'm like, that's constipated. Like You should be going every day. So anyone that's listening, you should be pooping every morning. Um, or the other spectrum is when you're pooping all the time and you're going over three times a day, you're doing like six mm-hmm. times a day. You can't go out to eat because you don't know where the nearest bathroom is because it just runs out of you and you can't really keep any food in. You have really stinky gas. And it's not just like sometimes because you had a bad meal. It's like all the time. So you don't go out to eat because you don't want to be that person. Um, you, It's just a really, really uncomfortable, not knowing what's happening with your body kind of feeling. And what is the difference between IBS and Crohn's? Yeah. I mean, Crohn's is a disease, right? And so this is something that you have to go through certain protocols and it has the irritation and it's, an, it's a disease. And when it's IBS, it's we don't know it's irritation. And so it's kind of like this blanket statement, whereas Crohn's is, is, you have to, that's one of the things you want to make sure it's not Crohn's. You want to go through the series of tests with your doctor. You don't just want to be like, oh, I have something and you jump on some type of diet and you don't really know what's going on. That's why it's so key to not mess around with the gut. You, I know the tests are not ideal and like going through the protocols and going through like tubes in funny places. I know that's not fun, but when it comes to matters of the gut, you want to know, is it Crohn's? Is it IBD? Is it, is it some type of parasite? Is it some type of in that arena? Because if it is, you need to get that fixed and just taking Miralax is not going to fix that. So what is the gut brain connection? Is that just when you you're stressed, your gut stops working? (laughs) It's my favorite topic. Um, So the gut brain connection is this, I'm sure we've all heard the gut is called our second brain, right? And so there are two reasons because of this. One, it runs entirely on its own through this thing called we have the enteric nervous system. It's We have this vagus nerve that runs from, it's our longest cranial nerve. It goes from our brainstem to our gut. And so it gives off these action potentials. Like you never have to tell your heart to beat, your food to digest, your lungs to breathe. It does it all on its own, which is so cool. And then the other reason is that our gut is home to 30 different neurotransmitters. So 90% of our serotonin, neuropinephrine, GABA, the things that keep us calm, the things that keep us happy, dopamine, the things that give us reward hormones, which is why we like to eat food as a reward. It doesn't directly go to our brain, which is this 
conception that we see on this lovely internet world that we live in nowadays on like Instagram. They're like, see, you need to eat to be happy. And it's like, it doesn't exactly work that way, but it does affect your blood sugar levels, which affect your mood. And then it does affect when you eat certain foods, it'll break that blood brain barrier, but it's not in direct communication. It actually just controls like the serotonin in your gut controls the motility of your gut. So like when you have low serotonin, it's not moving as quickly and it's not going. And that's when you see like depression linked to constipation. And when you see anxiety, that's linked to diarrhea. So oftentimes you hear people like, oh, I have butterflies in my belly or like before some like big work presentation, they have to like they're really gassy or they have to like run to the bathroom. It's because of this whole neural network that's going on through this vagus nerve that you're like, oh, that makes sense. When I think of that, like when I, when I flash back in time and I'm like, oh yeah, when I was anxious, I had anxious poops. Like that makes sense. And so when we can understand how these two are working together, that's how we actually heal the gut. Like you can't disregard that thing and think some like highly stressful, restrictive diet is actually going to be the cure-all and all be-all in these situations. You have to understand how the whole body works as this little beautiful vessel that we have. I like that you said that because I'm thinking back too, and I'm remembering whenever I would have my math class, I would get, this was a long time ago when I thought this was okay to eat. Okay. <laughs> so before I say anything, so I would go to Starbucks and get like a white chocolate mocha whatever, with the whipped cream and all that stuff. And I would have that every day before my math, no problem. Then on the day of the test, big problem, bloating. I would have to run out of the test to go to the bathroom. And I'm just like, it's the same drink every single day. On this day, it has a problem. Exactly. And so like in my world, I have a lot of clients come to me and they're like, why can't I eat it one day? And then the next day it's this mess. And I'm like, there are so many factors. Like it's your stress. It could be your environmental factors. It could be what you had three days ago that's impacting it. And it's all of these things that when we point at food and we're demonizing food and we're doing this whole thing, it's like, you're already stressing about that. Like you're already stressing about in this fear-based approach to food. And if you're focusing on this, and I tell my clients, it's like this food hangover because now you're afraid of this food and you're always thinking about this food. And then it a few hours later, you're super bloated and then you're blaming that food. And I'm like, no, it's because you're stressing and you have this food hangover where you can't stop thinking about that food that is making you bloated because in those moments, your blood flow is going to those survival organs because of the enteric nervous system. It's going to your brain. It's going to your lungs. It's going to your muscles. It's not going to digestion. So what are some common myths on gut health and its impact? You said like food is not always the problem. What, yes. what specifically, like what else? Ugh, so anyone in my world knows I hate the low FODMAP diet um, or I hate fasting. I, it's so silly, especially for hormonal health. Like we really got to cut that one in the butt. Miralax is like the only solution. Um, dairy is the devil. Like all these things, I'm like, please stop it. Like this is there. Uh, horrible, like learn science first, like do the research of the research where most of the studies are done on men, menopausal women and rats, which were neither. Like we are, we are none of those. And so we got to look at what it is to be a woman in our like prime years of reproduction and how these things are actually impacted. And if we're not paying attention to that, and we're wondering why we're bloated because we're not eating breakfast and we're not doing this and we're taking these extreme low carb elimination kind of diet styles. And it's like, because your body requires a lot of nutrients right now, because it's in the process of making a baby, even if you don't want to make a baby, that's your choice, but it, it, it needs to be doing that. And when it's fighting against itself, and it's in this fight or flight mode. 
your digestion and your hormones are going to be shut down because our body's still stuck in the cave woman times where if we were undernourished or there was famine or there was high level of stress, the two things to go were our digestion and our hormones because when there's a saber-toothed tiger or a famine coming, we don't need to be eliminating and we don't need to be producing children. And so it's it's really understanding how this whole beautiful vessel is working and stop being stuck in these stigmas of we have to look a certain way and we have to be following these diets and it's all this stuff because it's not made for us. And how does anxiety um, impact all this? Oh, it's everything. So when, uh, and I said it a few times, is when we're anxious, we're stressed, right? And when we're anxious, it's our body being confused that we're under attack. And so when that is happening, our blood flow is going to our survival organs. So this is why you get the heart palpitations. This is why we'll get heated really quickly. This is why hair will start falling out and all these different kind of things will be happening because our blood flow is going to our survival organs. It's not going to our reproduction. It's not going to our digestion. And we need to assimilate food, right? And oftentimes this is why you'll see people that are anxious, not hungry, right? And they're like, oh, I'm not hungry. And it's like, because you don't have blood flow going there. You you don't have that connection there because your body is like, we're keeping you alive. We're going, we're going. And your cortisol levels are raised. And so you're just trying to survive. And it it makes sense that that's how it is. And so we really, even when you're not hungry, you have to be working on how can I get into the state of rest and digest at my meals, which is why it's like the four deep belly breaths before and after your meal to tap in and eat something just so your body can assimilate some nutrients and calm down. Because even though you're not hungry, your anxiety, it's like, it's a cat and mouse kind of game. It's just cycling each other. It's like anxiety is causing the bloating, bloating is causing the anxiety. And it's like, which one comes first and which egg do we deal with first? And it's like, you got to deal them both. And so even if you're not hungry, eat something that is good quality for your anxiety to lower your blood sugar levels, to get you more into balance. And then also paying attention to how do you soothe your anxiety? Do you have to get more nature? Do you have to go get some help for that? Do you have to try some meditation, even though like sitting for five seconds is really hard? Like what is the way that we can work at a two-way approach and healing the body as a whole unit? Yeah, I hear that all the time, especially from like my friends and they're like, I'm overweight, I can't lose the weight, so, but I'm not hungry, I don't eat that much, I don't understand, and I'm just like, well, maybe you need to eat more. And they're like, that's impossible. That's 100%. And that's why most often what happens with people before they start working with me. And I'm like, no, we got to eat more food. And specifically, we got to eat more carbs. And they're like, ugh. No. And so they won't work with me at first because no one wants, as women, we're like, no, I want six pack abs. So I don't want to hear that. Then after like 10 weeks, they've tried every diet. They come back and they're like, still nothing's better. (laughs) Tell me more. And it's like the surrender to the moment because we're stuck in the societal way of thinking of like, oh, we have to look this way. But like inflammation, even when you're not, if you're, if you're not hungry and you know, you're not overeating and you're still stuck at this weight is your body showing you something is off. There, that's inflammation. That's not necessarily weight. That's just your body being like, I feel like I'm under attack, so I'm going to hold weight because I need to keep myself safe. And that's why it's when you get to healthy weight balance. Like I never talk about weight loss. I never talk about, I talk about weight gain because there's a healthy pound some of the women that I work with have to get. But it's like when you figure out this cycle, your body gets into healthy weight balance. And how does stress impact our gut health? everything. Same way anxiety, right? So it's the same way because of cortisol levels. So stress and anxiety are 
communicated the same way in our body. And if you are stressing, you're not digesting. Like that's a simple thing. And I get it a lot of people being like, well, I'm not stressed. And you're like, you live in this modern world. Like every single one of us is stressed. We have blue lights everywhere. We hardly go outside. Like how often are you actually moving? Like all these things. And it's like, you may not feel stressed and you may feel like, oh no, I got it under control. I go to like F45 every single day. And it's like, no, that's stress on the body. I get it's good for your mental health, but like that's still stress on the body. You gotta, you gotta figure out a way to like bring it down a bit. And like in this modern world, that is the uncomfortable part. Like sitting in that and being alone and like finding a way to be still is like the hardest thing for all of us to do. (laughs) So what might be some root causes to IBS? Is it just stress, anxiety, or is it like our mindset about things going on around us? D, all of the above. Um, (laughs) So it could be any of that. It could be go back to the way that you were born. It could go back to um, stress. It could go to trauma. It could go to not having enough of the right nutrients. It could be an infection. It could be in a parasite. It could be H. pylori started it and then we healed that, but we didn't actually repair the gut and the metabolic function, all the things, right? Food poisoning from a trip, like it could be anything. And that, that's the thing is like when we're like, oh, no, it's gluten, it's gluten or dairy. It has to be. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, that's not the reason. It's, it's metabolic function and what affected and disrupted the enzymes in your belly. And how do we get back that in balance? Not cutting out 47 different food groups. It's, we got to figure out how to repair that. I know when I was younger, I was incredibly thin and fit and I didn't really try. I would eat a loaf of bread a day. I would eat nachos until like I exploded. I was like super thin and fit and I would just like go to the bathroom all the time. Like every time I would eat a meal, I would go to the bathroom, eat a meal, go to the bathroom and felt great. Everything was fine. Then after I had my baby, like I saw the weight and it was like a completely different body and then I started to freak out. So of course, what do you do? You start following these fad diets and then you spiral out of control and then Suddenly, now, if you eat like a little bite of something, you're you're bloated, you're inflamed, you're huge. Oh, yeah. I see that a lot with new moms. It's like, they're like, what the heck? <laughs> it's like, well, you just birthed a child. So that's a lot. Um, as well, you're, it's a whole hormone balance disruption. And how do you get back in balance with that? How do you get the enzymes back in balance? And the things you were doing before because we're kids, our meta- metabolism is like a freaking firecracker. And then as we get older, it slows down, but we're not paying attention to that. We're not paying attention to what our basal body temperature is or our pulses or anything that's an indicator. We're like solely only looking at the size of our body. We're not looking at, oh, and I'm not like when I say metabolic function, I'm not talking about the size of our body. I'm talking about Do your fingers and your hands get cold? Are you really quick to get hangry? Is your hair falling out? Do your periods, are they really, really heavy? Like I'm talking about that's indicators that you're in like your body temperature is like 96 as opposed to 97. Like that those are huge indicators of what's going on and what we should be paying attention to outside of the size of our body. But that's, people will come around eventually. (laughs) But like, And that's the sad thing is it's going to take like illness to get people to be comfortable with what our bodies look like, but here's what it is. So let's unpack that. So if we have a low body temperature, that means our metabolism is low. 
And what do we need to do to like rev it up? Yeah. So you want your base body temperature. So if you're trying to have babies, that's that's pretty normal. Is like you're sleeping before you even, or when you wake up, you take your temperature, right? Just to see like, are you fertile or are you not? That's really big in the um, fertility world. Same thing with testing what your metabolism is doing. So you want to wake up, you want your base temperature to be 97.6. Average people that I see is about 96, which means you're not burning that as much fuel as you should be doing. And so you want a 97.6. Throughout the day, you want it to get up to 98.7. What happens, you want to eat your food and then take your temperature within 30 minutes of eating that food. And you want to see it go up because that means your body is burning fuel and turning that food into fuel. And that's how you test is if your metabolism is actually functioning properly. In my world, what I see is no, like it, it's not either, it's either doing nothing or it's just still at that 96. And it's like, well, then obviously you're going to be malnourished because you're not assimilating those nutrients because that's the issue. So does maybe like going into a sauna or exercising, can that rev it up? <laughs> I mean, those things are <clears throat> good for detoxing, but this is where like, this is the course that I teach is gut recharge and that's restoring metabolic function is where we talk about eating schedules. We talking about eating the right foods. We talk about functional foods. We talk about, um, stressing and stress management and really the consistency of a nutrition plan to get your body out of this stressed state and into the assimilation phase and being able to take on the proper nutrients like vitamin K, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin E, like certain nutrients that the body needs to repair that we don't get too much of nowadays, but we need to start paying attention to them. And once we add these things in, which is why I always talk about we need more food, not less. We need more of the right foods. Um, when we get these things in, the body's like, ooh, okay, like I am safe. I'm feeling delicious. I'm feeling, feeling like okay to heal. And that's when it starts taking in the nutrients. And this is when you see women like get their libido back, like get this confidence back, like waking up and having energy to get through their day. And it's not just like till 3 p.m. It's like to be able to actually come home and have enough energy to be with their kids. And like, it goes far beyond just like, I'm not bloated anymore. It's like, I can actually show up for my life now when I understand this step. So what about leaky gut? Could you tell us the difference between leaky gut and maybe IBS? I mean, they go hand in hand, right? So like Red Rover, Red Rover, I don't know if you guys like played that game growing up, but what happens is, is like a bunch of kids are holding their hands and a kid is like, Red Rover, Red Rover, send, I don't know, Michael right over. And like someone runs past and they're trying to break through the hands of the person coming. That's what's happening in your gut lining. It's these, these tight junctions that over time, food just kind of bounces off, goes through it. It's broken down into little pieces. It can get through if it needs to, what have you, when, it need, when it's actually broken down and digested. But because we are not digesting our food, our food is overprocessed, we don't have the right stomach acids, we don't have the right enzymes, it starts these undigested food particles to break through the barrier. And then it's leaving these holes. And so these undigested foods, and that's when you're getting that inflammatory response, which then leads to all of these symptoms. So you can, when you have leaky gut, it's beyond just constipation, like diarrhea, it could be skin issues, mood disorders, hormonal imbalances, um, anything in between because your gut is the powerhouse of everything. But this is how like epigenetics, like that's the core of epigenetics is everyone sitting there and going like, oh, my parents have it. So I'm going to have it. And it's like, 
Not necessarily, because how it works is, yes, you do have to have the gene for epigenetics, but you also have to have a pathogen that comes and sets it off. And then you have to have leaky gut. So you have to be, it has to break that blood brain barrier to actually come and set off the alarm response in your system. So you actually are in full control of not having that autoimmunity or hormonal imbalances or any of that other stuff that your family had because you get to control how your body works by repairing your gut and really paying attention to what you're doing. So what are some basic tips to heal the gut? What kind of changes should we be making? What I have most people start off with is understanding your own foundation. So like what I teach is the free method, F-R-E-E, F being the foundation. So you want to look at when do you eat? How often do you eat? What are you eating? Are you eating enough of a mix between soluble and insoluble fiber? Are you eating enough protein? Are you eating enough complex carbohydrates? How are you feeling? When do your symptoms show up? Do you even know if I asked you if what you had for lunch yesterday? Like, did you actually sit down for lunch or were you grazing throughout the day and like you don't even remember? Before you start to make any tweaks and jump on the next keto train, you got to sit down and know where are you at? Like, what do you eat and how, like, what is you? And so I have people track that. I have something called a gut diary, but I mean, you can just do this in a notebook. It's just track that for seven days to get a good picture, including weekends. That's why I say seven days because a lot of people like to be cheeky on the weekends, Um, but track it for seven days to see where everything is at and then come in and look at that and be like, oh, I graze a lot. I don't actually give three to four hours in between my meals. Oh, I actually don't have enough protein. Oh, I get bloated when I eat this. Like it brings you back to understanding where it's at. And then if you're still having issues and you can't figure it out, that's when you take that and you go to an expert, whether it's your GP or a GI, or you come to a specialist like me, like you have the notes or as opposed to showing up and coming empty handed and being like, you fix me, even though like, I don't know what's going on, but like you do it. And it's like, stop giving your power away. Understand what's going. It's seven days. Like it's just seven days of tracking. And when you do that, one, you get your power back Two, you help them help you, which collapses time in your recovery. So have you found there's any foods that people need to eliminate for their gut health, like maybe sugar or anything like additives? Yeah. I mean, additives, polyunsaturated fats, like those are the biggest one is just PUFAs, all the canola oils and vegetable oils. Like that is the one thing that I think the entire health world can agree on. Um, And that's the one I start with. I just pay attention. Also, I hate saying that like on podcasts though, because you're going to notice it's in everything. Please don't become obsessed with it. Like it's just limit your use and don't use it at your house. Like that's it. Because if you ever buy a packaged food, if you ever go out to eat, I can guarantee you it is inside of that. Like you can't avoid it. It, it. it is okay. It's just don't bring it into your house. Use things like butter, like grass-fed butter. Like that's good for you. Your body loves it. Ghee, um, which is clarified butter, coconut oil, or just like drizzle olive oil on top of your salad, but don't cook with it. Like learn about the oil stuff. And then the other things you can focus on later. But like the additives are the, and the polyunsaturated fats are, like the breadwinners that need to be more discussed than this whole like gluten and dairy shame thing that we got going on. (laughs) Do you have any tips for people who have, let's say they have bloating and fluid retention? What could that be? Uh, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. Like I'm right now on my business page, we're doing a whole series on bloating and it comes down to 
stomach acid? Why is you, why is your body not assimilating nutrients? And why are you getting this airy offset effect, right? It's not how, it's not eliminating, it's all this kind of stuff. It's like, why is your body in this fight or flight mode that it thinks it has to retain something? What's going on right now? And then you can start looking at like, are you getting minerals or are you kind of just like flooding your body? Um, and so you can add things like pink Himalayan salt into your water. So you're replacing some trace minerals that you might be missing. You could look at adding in some functional foods like an adrenal cocktail to help like flush out your adrenals and help calm down the body, which is just a cup of orange juice, um, a teaspoon of crema tartar, pink Himalayan salt, and some collagen and mixing that together. And that'll help like honestly, you'll drink it and you'll just like feel calm, which is really nice. And if you don't do well with um, orange juice, you can do coconut water. It could be, I mean, those would be the main ones that I would start with is just kind of looking at that as to like, why is the body not doing it? What is consistently showing up for you? Like, is it the meal times? Is it the stress around meals? Is it going back to the foundations? And then like, what can you add in, which would be more of the functional food kind of approach? What are some of the worst fad diets that you have seen your clients suffer the ill effects of? Low FODMAP, 100%. Because um, I just want to touch on that a second. It's only meant to be short term if you do do that. But I see women, they're like, oh, I've been on low FOD for like 10 years. I'm like, what? They're supposed to be like maximum like three to six weeks. That's it. You're not supposed to. This is why I like it grind my ears. I hate those prolon five-day liquid fast things where like the meals come in like a dehydrated. Like, please stop doing that. Um, <laughs> what else? Keto. I get it. People have great results for weight loss quick, fast, but because your body is eating itself, that high you're feeling is just adrenaline. And trust me, you'll be calling me in like a year because your hormones are then going to get so worse and your hair is going to fall out and all these kind of stuff. Like it's just, there's no science for, don't get me wrong, postmenopausal men, that's a different arena, but for women of reproductive age, just you need carbs. We just, we do like our body needs sugars. Our body runs on glucose. We really need that stuff. We got to stop fearing it. Um, all of them basically, but those are the big ones. <laughs> okay. And what are your favorite carbs? Ooh, I am obsessed with potatoes. Like I just love it in every shape and form. Please give it to me. Um, root vegetables. I love squash. I love pumpkin. I love beets really good. Um, I am sort like, I love this like sprouted coconut milk, bone broth rice that I've been making lately. You want to sprout it for easier digestion, coconut for the healthy fat, bone broth for this like extra nutrient boost. In it. And it's just like so good with like some salmon and like a mango chutney thing. Oh God, it's so good. I'm going to make that for dinner actually. <laughs> um, and then just fruits, like I just carbs, fruits, the delicious and adding them in wherever I can, especially now with these warmer months happening. Could you give us like a breakdown of what you eat in an ideal day and include any supplements or teas or drinks that you might also use just so we can have an idea of how much food the average person should be eating? Oh my God. I love this. I've never been asked this question. <clears throat> so I eat within an hour of waking up, but I'm usually not starved and I don't like to eat my big breakfast before my workout. So I wake up, I'll have like some type of protein 
muffin or something to get through my workout and then I'll have my coffee. I never have coffee on an empty stomach and my coffee is like a collagen, coconut sugar, coconut milk kind of thing. Also, I never have it black because it'll shoot my adrenals and I don't really need that. And then I come back after my workout and I literally have the same smoothie every single day. It's just like banana, spinach, collagen, bone broth, protein. Um, and that's it. And then I sip on that. And then I don't eat anything for three to four hours. And then lunch is generally some type of cooked green and protein um, and some type of carbs. So I, what did I have yesterday? I had a tuna sandwich because I was so craving it and not like something fancy, like an actual tuna sandwich. That is what I made. And some steamed vegetables on the side. And then I have a snack at 3 p.m., which is usually a raw carrot salad and an adrenal cocktail. And then I have dinner, which is, what did I make yesterday? Turkey tacos, which was amazing. And that was it. And then I'll, I'll wait. I never skip dessert. I have dessert every single day. Um, and yesterday was one of those muffins with some Greek yogurt and fruits and all the goodies. Awesome. So you're saying we have to eat a lot of food. <laughs> And with, I think in like American culture, especially like we're all go, go, go. We, we don't have time to like eat. Our jobs are too stressful. They don't give you all these breaks to like stop and rest, relax and eat. So what advice do you have for someone who might have like, or might have to eat on the go? Like, how do you like calm down while you're eating? Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I eat in front of my laptop some days. I'm like in between meetings. It's like, I would love to do that every day. But it's, I focus on the four deep belly breaths before and after my meals, because we can do that. If you're sitting in your car, you can do that. If you're sitting at your desk, you can do that. Please don't eat on the go. One, it just like, it's not a cute look to like be running down the street, shoving something in your mouth into your next meal. It's like, figure out a schedule. If you control your schedule, (laughs) figure out five minutes that you can sit down on a park bench and like, be like, okay, I got this. And just paying attention to that and then give yourself grace. Like it's, you're not going to get it perfect, but it is what is your standard? Like what is the thing you do often? And then what is the thing you do sometimes? That's okay. But figure out your standard. And if, if nutrition, which it should be, is at the forefront of your health. Like I work with highly successful women that are like in and out and running international companies and see like CFOs and all this stuff. Like if they can figure it out because they realize they their businesses and their companies or their bosses and everything or their team can't run if they're not running and they're not feeling confident and they're not feeling focused and they can figure it out, you can figure it out, right? Like you, you make your schedule. This is your life. And don't be one of those people that waits until illness catches and bites you in the butt. Like sit and be a little bit, okay, I'm going to give myself five minutes you know, and, and that's it. And then we start doing that and having healthy snacks at your desk and pre-cooking things and having them at home. So you don't have to be worried because you only can make so many decisions in your day. So when you get home, you're like, cereal, it is like, I'm done. It's like, make something ahead of time, make like batch cook one dinner when you do have time so that you can eat it the next day and be able to eat it there. So you don't have to be stressed about any of that, but like there's just small tweaks, but really like that's where the foundation comes in is like, what isn't so hot in your life right now? What it would your like highest self and like your excellent blueprint of your life, what would her life look like? Cool. So what can you do today that would match that? 
And what happens if you want to eat a meal that you know is going to inflame your gut a little bit? Are there any lifestyle tips or even supplements or things that you might do to help mitigate that response? Oh my God, I love it. I just, so the last one on um, the free method is evolved. So I just covered this with my students because like I'm obsessed with chicken wings right now. Like if they're there, I need them. So what you do is you give yourself grace. You fill up on the stuff that you know is good and that makes you feel good because you're thinking one step ahead. You're not so involved in that moment. You're like, if I ate only chicken wings for dinner right now, tomorrow, even in an hour, I'm not going to be feeling so hot. So I'm going to think a little bit ahead um, because I set the standard for myself. It all comes back to the standard. And then two, I'm going to take my digestive enzymes because I love them and they help to assimilate some nutrients. I like Enzymedia, digestive gold. Um, again, run everything by your doctor as always, every time you listen to anything or anything like that. Um, and then taking vitamin E anytime I go out to eat, cause it helps to absorb the polyunsaturated fats. It's one of the highest forms of, um, antioxidants. And so, because polyunsaturated fats are one of the culprits, when you take that, it helps to just ease inflammation in your body. And then I breathe and I move on with my life. <laughs> awesome. I love it. So a lot of people also, they might get reflux after a crappy meal and they'll think, okay, I have high stomach acid. Let me take something to lower it. So do you find that there's too many people using antacids and it's just doing more harm than good? Oh my goodness, girl. It grinds my gears, gears. Like every, I forget what I wrote a thing because I forget the exact number, but it was like only 10% of people actually have too much stomach acid. We actually, what's happening with stomach acid is that our gut lining is weak and our esophagus sphincter is weak. So we're, we have normal levels of stomach acid. It's just irritating these weakened areas. So you taking these over-the-counter medications is actually making the gut lining weaker, the esophagus sphincter weaker. So you're actually doing long-term damage when you're doing that. And it's, you got to get to the root cause. And I think it's magic because like with my clients that have had that, where they're like, I've been taking these PPIs for years. And like, this is the only way I can eat. And it's like, and after they get off of them, they're like, holy guacamole, like I can eat normally. And this is amazing. And so when you do get stomach acid, I understand it's painful. I understand it's that stuff, but like under grasp the concept that any over-the-counter NSAIDs, PPIs, any of that stuff is just making it worse. It's weakening the actual root cause of what's going on. And it brings us back to what I covered earlier was it's the why, not the how. Like, why is my body in pain right now? Why is it burning? That's the problem. And that's the gut lining and the, the esophagus, not how do I get this over and done with? It's like, get the why I get like, you're going to probably have to take PPIs for a little bit while you work on that, but you got to take the right steps at the right order. Otherwise you're going to be stuck on those things forever. Yeah. When I was younger, I was in this job that was very stressful and I got a new supervisor who was just on my butt all the time, stressing me out. And I got reflux for the first time in my entire life. And then I started gaining weight, which was unheard heard of. And I feel like I've never been able to get back to my ideal weight before that. But thankfully, when I got the pills, I looked up the side effects and I was like, hell no, I'm not doing this. And I didn't take them. I just 
like raised my bed. I just did the best I could. I didn't eat like, I don't know, four or five hours before bed. You know, I tried to mitigate it my own way, even not knowing that much. But yeah, I'm very glad I didn't take those supplements. And now if I get stressed and I feel a little reflux, I have something called glutoalamine. It's like a glutamine with aloe in it and I don't know, whatever. It's like a powder. I take it and it just kind of like coats it and soothes everything. So it's all calming. And I like that. Yeah, that's what I, that's amazing. And that's incredible that you were noticing that it's like stress related, not food related and to be able to differentiate between that. But what that was one of the things as well that I was going to say is like aloe vera is just like a nice little blanket to your stomach in those times. And that's, that's natural. Go that route. Like take that route. Listen to, listen to what Ketch has said and go that route. <laughs> so let's talk about cheese. Cause I keep hearing everybody's like, I'm lactose intolerant. And I'm like, are you really? I found I have no issues eating cheese, except it does make me fat, but it doesn't give me any real issues other than being fat. <laughs> but it seems like everybody's avoiding dairy. Is is the dairy really that like hard to digest? Like what is going on with everyone? Yeah, this one drives me bananas. Even my partner, when we first started, started dating, he's like, I'm lactose intolerant. And I was like, you just watch, pretty boy. You just watch. And so now he's not which is great because he's a New Yorker and he loves his pizza. Um, dairy's fine. The problem is we love processed little square yellow thing, burger things, like putting all that stuff on in our body. It's like, please stop eating cheese Whiz. Yes, that is, that is bad for you. But if you look at the raw forms of milk and dairy, they have so many benefits that our body, specifically our hormones, just love, right? And if you are someone that hasn't had dairy in a while and you've gone on this whole route of elimination, you don't want to jump straight into it right away. You you want to microdose it, right? Because you don't have the enzyme. So obviously, just like if you went to the gym and you haven't picked up a weight in a while, you're not going to go for the 100-pound rack and think you're going to just like Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong, whatever. You're not going to like pick it up <laughs> and do that. You, you got to work your way up to getting there. Same thing with dairy. So what I start my clients on is one... We'll start with a soft goat's cheese because it's easier to digest. And then we'll start working our way up to the goat cheese arena, making it a little bit more harder, really like small doses of it. And then we go to the cow's milk and we start with the soft and we work our way up to it until we're the body is used to that muscle. And then it's okay. Again, you're not going like ham and potatoes on it and like just putting it on everything. Don't get me wrong. I literally have a cheese plate probably every other day. Not going to lie. Um, but it's, it's so good for you. It's easy to digest when you know how to do it and you have the enzymes, but you're not going to be going around and like doing these processed cheese and jumping into that arena, just like with everything in health, right? Like we're looking for the raw, we're looking for the local, we're looking for the best sources when it comes to all this kind of foods we've now demonized. It's like focus on the quality and getting into the routine of it. And then it's magic and it's okay to eat. And we really got to step away from demonizing foods that are delicious. Like they're good for us. They're good for the soul. They're good for like cheese plate connections and like having the little like girls night with all the wine and cheese. Like these things are good. Let's stop demonizing it, please. <laughs> so uh, I think we mentioned it before, but are there any food additives that are found in processed foods that we should absolutely, no questions asked, avoid at all costs? I mean, I would love to say polyunsaturated fats, but like it's just 
literally impossible. As you'll read anything and it'll say sunflower oil, safflower oil, it'll say canola oil, it'll say some vegetable oil, it'll say something. But the best you can do is get them out of your house, right? Like you don't need to be cooking with them in your home. And there are products coming out now, which I love that don't include them. And if they, they have oils, it's like coconut oil, or it's like avocado oil, or it's butter, like these things are great. And that's what you should look for. But like, don't go crazy reading labels in that arena. It's like, do your best that's okay. And then move forward from there. And then also like stop eating foods that say like on the label where it's like N1. It's like, that's not food. Don't eat that. <laughs> you know, like if, it, if you don't know how to pronounce it and you have no idea what it is, probably not that great for you. So tell us a little bit about your master class, your gut recharge program. Yeah. So, I mean, I do master classes pending whenever this comes out, but I do master classes at this moment in time every month. Um, just to bring awareness, gut health is new and confusing and it breaks my heart to see so many people scared and afraid of it. So I do free masterclasses every month um, that usually come down and then they get turned into paid programs. So you can buy like many doses of programs. And then for the rest of this year, I am doing live programs within my program. So uh, my next one will be in the end of June, I will be teaching Gut Recharge Live again, and it's four weeks of going through. That one is focused on metabolic function. So how do we re- restore the metabolism? How do we get rid of food sensitivities? How do we gain back control of our health again? And then my other courses is Gut Happy, and that comes out in July. And that one is about the gut-brain connection and understanding food anxiety and that kind of stuff. So the two of the approaches in that arena, but yeah, if you ever want a taste of the world, just come hang out, whether it's a masterclass, an ebook, a course, coaching, all that kind of stuff. Tell everyone how they can work with you. Do you do one-on-ones as well? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And so I do one-on-one mentorship. I do, like I said, masterclasses. I do programs, um, any of that stuff. And then you guys can just come hang out on Instagram. You'll probably get a voice note from me going, hi, (laughs) just welcoming you guys into the community and then I have a really awesome Facebook community of just women that because no one talks about poop like we really should <laughs> and so I have a Facebook community called happy gut gang where people come in and we share we just kind of connect in that arena and give really good advice in there so I'm gonna put all your social media stuff in the show notes is there anything else you want to leave everyone with maybe like some one tip for gut health Um, the one tip would be, I'm going to go with what I posted this morning on Instagram, eat breakfast, like stop, stop skipping breakfast. (laughs) We fasted while we were sleeping. The biggest thing I see with clients is just getting into that routine of one, getting comfortable with eating breakfast, even if you're not hungry and just getting into the nutrition routine, right? Like we have routines for everything, morning, night, work, workout. We need a nutrition routine starting with breakfast. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time and for being with us. And thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast. Leave me a voicemail question or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, katkatibi.com.
This podcast is for informational merrymaking and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatb, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.